0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Where do you start with my special Luck on Sunday guest this week? There is hardly anything he hasn't done in this sport. From riding big winners to founding newspapers to being the face of televised racing for three decades. Let's just have a reminder of him 33 years ago.
1: Sharastani now takes over, Walter Swinburne goes for home, he's got the race, and now we see, it answers the question, was Darcy Brake get the trip? The answer is he gets the trip very, very well. Look how he's running on, he's now got the action, but getting too far behind is what's fixed him, I'm afraid. Here's the as he makes run all the way to the line, they're now hitting this Final final bit of rising ground, if he was ever going to not stay, he wouldn't run up there. He really runs up this, he's catching Sherry Stani all the way to the line, as Greville gives him a couple of cracks there, the sparing cracks. He's closing the, He's down, he's only beaten half a length, and I have to say, it's a personal opinion, I think he should have won a minute. Just was one of those things, He settled down, the horse, who always reacted quickly for Greville before, he relaxed too much, Grevel Stark has told us he got too relaxed, and when he went to attack, you can't do that through a Tatman Corner. Remember Leicester Piggott's uh, derby victories? He always got himself into a position before Tapman Corner. I know Golden Fleece came hurtling up uh, a million miles an hour, but it's very rare for that to happen. And uh, that was a derby, I'm afraid. That was uh, a derby lost as much as it was a derby won horse racing has always been the exact science, and I can tell you, trying to ride a racehorse, they aren't kits of machinery. If things begin to go wrong, they tend to accumulate, and that, I think, is what happened in the Derby 86.
0: And he hasn't changed a bit in the intervening period. Brough Scott, good morning.
2: Well, it's nice. The sad thing about looking at that is, of course, it was a great, extraordinary event, but Walter and Greville are both dead now, you know. And so um, I feel this awful thing about people saying hello like this is that uh, okay? You're saying hello to me because I'm still alive. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not. I don't want to be very clear because I would tell a couple of things. I'm not going away. I just want to do some other things. And also, you need to move on because other people need to do the things you're doing.
0: I know you want to look forward to, to projects. Uh, the reason I, I chose that is because it's one of my. Uh, as doing this job, it's one of my favourite pieces to camera that is still available on in the archive. I didn't know it was there <laughs> uh, because it was. It was rare enough now, but it was even rarer then for an anchor to stand and deliver. This is a derby that was as much lost as it was won, and in my personal opinion, Greville Starkey has made a cock up here. and And it wasn't popular to to go st- put your neck on the block then. Did did you were you conscious of that when you were doing it?
2: Uh, I suppose so. I mean, uh, the problem is an anchor. You you you're trying to get everyone to talk to you, as you know. Yeah. And if you actually, and also you don't know the information that the Jockeys is particularly difficult because with footballers, it's only the footballer and the ball. But when you've got the horse, and so if you ask a jockey what do you do, he says the horse was hanging, so I couldn't pull it out. So then you can't shop him because he said it was hanging. But he may have actually been... There. I mean, to me, actually, I mean, I feel almost harsh on The fact is he got too far behind. It wasn't, it wasn't all his fault because of the, the tactics that have dropped him in. But once he dropped in, he was stuck. So it was a Derby loss. Yeah. You know, it was a Derby loss, no question about that. And the danger is people don't say it. Uh, we, we don't, I, it is very difficult. I think it's getting better. And the thing is, well, it's much better. We're beginning to get very high-powered jockeys on board. Mm. You know, you've brought all these people through. And when they say it, you can't complain. If Ruby Walsh says, look, he should have gone for a long one, he can say it. But if somebody who's never sat on the horse says it, he may be right. But the jockeys then get resentful and they won't talk and it all gets, you know, people get, we get, the worst thing in racing is it's, it's best thing in the worst is it's got a lot of attention on, on, on itself. But the worst thing about it is that they all squabble so much.
0: So do you think it's imperative then that your, your major analysts of a race are people who've done it and not just people who've done it, but people who've done it to a very high standard so that they they can't be second guess?
2: It's not imperative, but because there are some very, very good analysts, you have them on your show, uh who have never sat on a horse, you know, and made of shapes that you clearly couldn't. But And they're very, very good analysts. The problem is, within a very small little parish, which racing is, we have to remember that, mm. when you look at your big studios and things, it's a very small parish. Is If they're criticised by somebody who hasn't ridden, the jockeys get cross and they won't talk to you, and all that sort of stuff. And trainers too. Whereas if a top trainer or top jockey says, look, in my opinion... I think he should have gone earlier. It's only an opinion. I mean, you know, the fact is that it's inexact. If you'd gone earlier, I mean, if, if he'd ridden Dancing Boat right out there second. I mean, he never rode him up there second, remember? When he won the Arc, Pat didn't ride him up there second or third. He dropped him right out and he pulled him back in on the third. Pulled him back in so he came last. I mean, that was the most daring bit of race riding I've ever seen in the, in the Arc.
0: And I know one of your favourite races, and certainly one of the... Oh, yeah. It's your most, my, enjoyable it's, it's m- well. most enjoyable broadcasting experience as well. It's my
2: most enjoyable broadcasting experience. Also, it's the greatest waiting race I've ever seen or ever will see because of the, you know, as you know, the thing about race riding is, is which everybody wants to have as almost wants to have is nerve mm. to actually hold your powder. It's, it's a galloping card game to hold that ace. And Dancing Brave had the ace, but I mean, they were very good horses, they so all kicked. And he could have kicked earlier. early, and he pulled it back in, Pat He pulled Dante back in. And Bering was a big thing, and, and let Bering go first. I mean, he came so late that the local television missed him completely. And Channel 4, doing the replay, yeah. had to stitch in another one, and I had to stall for about 40 seconds while Andrew Franklin stitched in another shot that we had, a private shot. And if you look at the replay, we show you, you do see him go past the line, but you didn't in the real time.
0: And this is the days before everything was digital, on on server, so you actually had to physically... There
2: were men doing, you know, cut and paste. Mm. I mean, that sort of stuff, but
0: anyway. But exciting?
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, as you know, live broadcasting is exciting. I mean, it's, a, it's not race riding, but it's exciting. And, I, I mean, I find it... I mean, I certainly find it absolutely terrifying to start with. I mean, I still remember the very first broadcast I did for BBC handed in by O'Sullivan, he said something quite nice, and now to Brough Scott, and I've got a microphone on me, and I'm absolutely looking there, terrified. <laughs> and according to the private eye, but it's not true, I said, there is the unmistakable uh, uh, um, shape of Joe Mercer, uh, or is it Lester Piggott? <laughs> <laughs> but I did say there is... That, 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 funny enough, Oakes did say Separately, but I didn't say at that time.
0: Is that why you did it? Because it terrified you? Because you needed something to replace the fear?
2: No, I did it out of desperation because I messed up everything else. You know, failed as a jockey, and I walked away from doing sort of what my mother-in-law called a proper job, and I've never really had a proper job since.
0: What would your mother-in-law have liked you to be doing? I don't know. Sort of, I don't know. Some sort of.
2: I mean, it was the story is a bit unfortunate. But before I got married. My mother-in-law was a little bit of a dragon. Um, uh, met my my father had the sort of meeting with mother-in-laws and things. And unfortunately, the week before, um, I, I had been in front in a big race at Haydock, which is on televised. And the horse, first time in blinkers, was bit free, and he did one of those spectacular dives halfway round and they're close up on me. And it's a spectacular dive. It was a 20-run hurdle race, and they all galloped over me. Uh, and uh, you know, I was knocked out and stuff. But needless to say, in those days I rode the next day. I fell again. <laughs> but uh, because it was such a spectacular fall, they showed yeah. it again on ten o'clock news. And that's when it sort of met. And it was a bit unfortunate. And my mother-in-law said the magic word to my father: "Won't you get a proper job?" But anyway, I never got a proper job. But I just keep. I when I stopped racing, when I stopped riding, you know, what am I going to do? And luckily, the previous year, you know, the story in 1970, mm. I, I had a badly broken ankle, and those days it took ages. to, cook. And I was stuck for the 1970 World Cup watching the telly, and ITV had the panel on, which was uh, footballers talking about football, which you'd never done before, and it sounds so obvious. They used to have sort of pundits mm. and nice chaps, you know, and the same thing was happening on racing. And I did say, I rang up Julian Wilson and said, look, I could do this. Because um, I actually, I knew about race riding. I didn't know about broadcasting, and I didn't have a, I'd never been, unlike people like you, I'd never been at school acting or anything like that. I hadn't got a very good voice. But I actually had something to say. And the one thing about broadcasting, if you can't be good, be different. Because after a bit, you get used to broadcasting. Because in the end, it's, as you know, well, to do so beautifully. But it's, it's only conversation."
0: You're, you're spot on. Uh, I think that point of difference is, is crucial to a lot of people's careers, isn't it? Something that's that their unique yeah. selling point. If, but if you get that, after prices. a
2: bit, then you're not so terrified of broadcasting because you realise it's only conversation. Yeah. The danger with television, as anyone knows who's done it, is when you start doing it, you back away or you address the microphones if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a big room.
0: And also, we saw you there at the Derby. And of course, in those days, 86, the Derby was still a big deal. Still a big national Oh, Wednesday! Event.
2: Big, big. It was a big,
0: big thing. And do you feel, as a broadcaster, that the key is to to play your game rather than to play the event? So, if you're playing the event, essentially, it gets you more nervous than perhaps you ought to be.
2: I think so. I think the most important thing about broadcasting is the first part of the word. It's it's, it's trying to share. Yeah. It's Broadcasting, and it's you know it's the old line. You've got only got two people. The people you're there, but you're trying to say to the camera look, you know, come on in, but this is what's happening. And also, to not, I mean, there's one thing I was told very, very early on, which I've always tried to stick to, is never, never overestimate your audience's knowledge or underestimate their intelligence. So never patronise, but don't assume they know. I mean, also, for instance, I I have a bit of a campaign, many failed campaigns, Mm -hmm. about a wind problem. I mean, no one knows what it is. Well, they think it means farting. You know, <laughs> that's what wind problems mean. Yeah. He's had a wind operation. A wind, and they've got, it's a breathing problem. That's what he's got. He's got a breathing problem. He's had a breathing operation. But you know, we've, we seem to have lost that one. I mean, I've lost most of my campaigns, but there we are. I
0: don't know. I think bit by bit over time, we are getting better. And I certainly yeah. think. I don't know if you agree the access to the participants has got significantly better. In the last decade, oh, or
2: so. it, I mean, I think racing is—it's—it's it's sad for me because it's infinitely better in so many ways, but so much worse in the area I've been in, i.e., in the awareness to the public, which, in a sense, my campaign since I stopped, I was to try and make people more people interested in racing. The fact is, that less people interested in racing now than ever. I, I, you know, what we do within racing, I mean. The, Everything from the way horses are trained, the way uh, jockeys are looked after, the way racecourses are run. I mean, the, the tracks, are,
1: you know, the, the
2: concrete posts, my day mm-hmm. rails, all plastic. All that. The the now the access to, as you say, to jockeys, the access to stewards. I mean, people people wouldn't tell you. I mean, yes, it was a sort of, let say, bad luck. Or not, cause it was the last race. It was pitch dark. You'll forget that. There's pictures of. Or look at it, it's all right, you couldn't see anything. Uh, but it, it, you weren't allowed, no one would tell you anything, they would still say you can't hear. I mean, all, all that sort of stuff. You weren't allowed in the paddock. I mean, I was seen as a revolutionary, you know, because I didn't wear a hat, how about that? You
0: Because know, you didn't?
2: I, yeah, I didn't yeah. have a hat, of course. So, you know, we must all wear hats. And, you know, we had, we had a camera in the unsaddling enclosure. And then we went up to York, we managed to, this isn't negotiating, we, we got the camera, we arranged to have a camera in the paddock at Newmarket, in the paddock. Uh, no question, when I started, no question of the paddock in, the, in the either the unsaid or the paddock, no question. And we did it at Newmarket, went up to York, and the first thing we did it in, in, in the um, uh, paddock, and I mean, this is absolutely true, and the, I was summoned the next day by the senior steward, who I actually knew, because I've got, you know, I've got a pub, pub, public school. I knew he's flipping relations. Anyway, I mean, so well, I understand you were in the paddock yesterday with your cameras. I mean, and I'm the anchor. And I said, yeah, with well, the new market, so we can't do it up here. And I literally said to him, look, I'm going out to the. I've got four eight minutes. I'm going out to the opening. And I'm going to go and do it in the paddock. If your people come stop me, I'll come. and do it outside the paddock, and I'll tell them what's happened. I'm going out now, and walked out, and I did in the paddock. We've been in the paddock ever since. But that's how stuffy people were. Mm. Now they're all leaning over backwards. But in the meantime, the public interest in racing—you know—when I first took over the Sunday Times, seventy-three. That the previously there'd been two Sunday Times journalists. There aren't any now. I mean, I do reports for them every now and then. That's more the. I mean, every paper had writers. Now, I mean, people like David do masses of stuff on, on the online and on Saturdays and things. But the basic writers don't happen. the the actual The actual narrative of racing in the papers doesn't really exist. We just have two pages of grids. You know, those cards, ordinary person, my children have no idea how those grids work.
0: Because it's abstract. It's totally abstracted. It's well, just... only,
2: only, and they're only there. It is then only a betting game. Mm. If racing is only a betting game, it's doomed. Because there's other betting games which actually are much more accessible, like football and things. Which is why front front betting shops have football, not not racing on them. But racing is a very interesting betting game. And it needs to be made interesting, but it's got to have a narrative at the top of it. If you don't follow racing in general, you've had it. And that's why it is important to have it on on network television. It's very important to have a narrative. And it's very important to have competition. don't have competition. You have some of these things like, I mean, the best win in the world, it's fantastic how well they've done Coolmore. But mm. if we have a situation where the Derby, which is an absolutely our ultimate sort of Formula One race, imagine a Formula One race when seven of the 13 starters were Mercedes. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. And that
0: is the that case. That was Coolmore. For the last
2: decade. Yeah. Seven of the 13 And start. racing within doesn't sort of look how it looks. From the outside, I think it's terribly important about broadcasting. You look in as what does it look like from the outside? Not say how we got here. Well, we do it because this is what's happened. Look. So I'm one of my things, I think you should actually consider having only two runners from any one team.
0: So from any one ownership group or any one trainer. I think probably
2: I think one ownership group. it becomes trainer, because I mean that's it. You know, if you, two is fine. Mm. But the fact is, you have seven. Without breaking the rules, you're blocking the others. Well, it's just a fact. Everybody knows that. It's, it's, you're blocking the others. And you have a look at Hunting Horn and Enable in, in the King George. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, uh, if I was doing Coolmore, I'd do exactly the same. But those are the, the rules we have. They actually legislate against competition at the moment. And we, I just think people have to think. Radically, because we are losing, losing interest in racing. Look at the newspapers. And very soon, if someone pulls the cards, after the Guardian do it, they just have you know, one meeting or something, mm-hmm. and they do have writers. If you can't keep a I narrative, still have two game. writers, which yep. is
0: fantastic. And Unless
2: racing has a story to tell, it's just a betting game. It's doomed. I mean, it's a very interesting betting game, and that's that's what it should be sold as. Because other, it's not crack cocaine racing. Racing's actually you've got to think about it. You actually got to get involved. But it's much easier to get involved, as we know from football, if you actually follow people because you actually know about them. At the moment, who do they know? They and know the Tory. They know Richard Johnson just about. I mean, you know, literally. Uh, then uh, they know. Well, the truth is, Bruff,
0: not sparing your blushes. There's more people out there who've heard of Bruff Scott than Richard Johnson.
2: Well, let's say because I'm 97 years old, but basically I have been in the public eye. <laughs> but you
0: know, but you were in the public it, eye at a time when racing's place in the
2: yeah, in you a, know, the national
0: was, culture was that bit more cemented.
2: It was, 't you know, we used to have this sort of you know, you have sort of charity lunches or whatever, and very much nothing to do with me. I'd be sort of invited along, and you know, saints and greasy and people. Mm. You'd be very much part of the same sort of gang. You were part of that gang. Whereas now slipping down. I mean, Ed Chamberlain and Francesca made a big hit back in, and having McCoy and Walsh sort of high profile. But it's a big battle. But I think unless we have narrative in the newspapers, we're really losing it. Those, those, I mean, it's a terrific thing, because you don't have the cards, you don't get the betting.
0: And, and uh, the, the truth is, when you were anchoring ITV and then, and then Channel 4, your position as being part of that national conversation was in part because the sport was incredibly popular. If the sport's not so popular, then the people who are attached to it are not going to have quite the, same, quite the same standing.
2: Yes, I mean, uh, I it, it, was always, it was never as popular as people in racing thought. I have to remember that. I mean, We've
0: always been guilty of overestimating our, our place in the world.
2: Uh, well, since about 1920, uh, uh, yes, is um, <laughs> um, the answer. Remember, the Derby was, it's quite an interesting point, this, it was the most important sporting event in Britain, mm. up until about 1926 or something, 28, when the Cup Final overtook it. And uh, But it, it was, it, the Parliament used to stop all that sort of thing. Wednesday's... But it was going out, and when people complained about, you know, well, moving it to the Saturday, it was moved to the Saturday because it wasn't working on the Wednesday. Yeah. I remember Quest for Fame's Derby, which is absolutely grotesque. with pouring pouring rain, awful. And when you do those shots saying, "Isn't it amazing?" Three hundred thousand people on these glorious downs, you, know, you couldn't cut through any. People were shivering, with bits of paper over them, and awful. And also the the sort of whole atmosphere was bad with people mugged on the trains and you know with the jolly uh, outings from london and the nice you know wasn't it super the poor old cockneys had one day out a year and they could you know you can't live on that
0: yeah that narrative was gone by Fr- then anyway
2: yeah william frith's things 1860 i think mm-hmm. you know it's it, it, it's a nonsense to think You've got to live in the future, in the present and the future. And racing has a story to tell, but it's incredibly defensive about it at the moment. All, I think it's defensive and myopic, it doesn't look out. In what way is racing defensive at the moment? It's defensive about two big issues, which are potentially toxic, or are toxic really. One is betting, and secondly is, is um, a horse, horses, animals being hurt. Mm-hmm. Activity. Those, those are the two things which people sort of start apologizing for. Well, I don't think you should apologize for either of them, frankly, uh, because betting can be very interesting. Uh, it's, uh, obviously, you don't do in excess, any more than you drink in excess. In fact, it's more interesting than drinking, uh, and potentially less hard. yeah lucrative, yes. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you use your brain rather than distance it. But you can make a really good case for betting on horses and thinking about it, and indeed, You know, my kids find that quite interesting, but they haven't really followed it much through. Because you are calculating things and you're calculating both uh, uh, mathematically and human and animal natures, which is a fascinating mix, unique mix. Mm. And as for animal welfare, I mean, the racehorse is an extraordinary athlete, but it's in the end, it's athletics. And it's an athlete who's trained and indeed been raised to race, that's what it does, but it's running in a very, it's a very dangerous thing. Racing is dangerous, let's be clear about that, it's dangerous to the people who take part, which are the, well actually betting on it is quite dangerous too. It, it's a risk, thing. we are in a, my pe- sort of campaign at the moment, we live in a more and more risk-averse mm-hmm. society, to try and say you can do racing without risk is absurd, it's a very dangerous thing, you can't have a safe Grand National, it's very dangerous. If a horse goes down, you're in front of it, it goes down, you go down straight after it, and you go down smack, mm-hmm. you're going 35 miles an hour, and if another one falls on top of you, it weighs half a ton, and if it hits you here, you get knocked out. Well, well, if, if it hits you here, you're crippled. You know, it's, that's what happens. It's, I mean, I was at very low r- range, really, but I was quite busy at the time, but I mean, you, you're going to get hit, and horses are going to hit you, therefore, the responsibility is the awareness But the responsibility is really on those who prepare the athletes, the the humans and and the horses. In the past, they didn't didn't really care. They care more than they ever did now. They know more than they ever did. And they're better prepared and better looked after. But, which is a big but, it's a dangerous and exciting game. Mm. That's the thrill of it. That's why it's so, I mean, I promise you, I could still, I mean, there wouldn't be a day goes by I don't remember race riding and don't miss it but I miss it like I miss being young. You know, but it's incredibly... This is a live jumping motorbike. That's what you're on. You and the, and the danger, With 30 others around
0: you. And the danger is an inherent part of the sport and one that is, is part of the essence of the sport. Interestingly, when I, I was doing the job that you had previously done at Channel 4, one of the big marketing campaigns they did was horse racing the, the, the original extreme sport. Yeah, it was a pretty good idea. And, and, and yet, we're only... We're only five, six, seven years down the track. You wouldn't dream of doing that now within the current context and you'd be very frowned upon by our rulemakers for doing so.
2: I think our rulemakers have got it wrong because I don't think there's anything to apologise for. Uh, I I think that you'd say, look, this is the deal. We we are the ones who are responsible because to start saying, well, the horse doesn't have any choice, of course he doesn't have any choice. Animals don't have a choice, otherwise it would be hopeless. <laughs> you, you can't, uh, animals give the animals a vote, they wouldn't know. You, but because they don't have a choice, you have the responsibility. Mm. If You're the rider, you're the trainer, you're the rule makers, you're sending these these animals and these athletes out. That's why, to bring it up to date, that's why the, the flag waving is a crucial thing, because actually, you've got to have a. I mean, whether the flag was visible enough and all the rest of it is different, but you've got to have a rule that you stop a race. I mean, the most obvious one happens when you can't throw the stalls away yeah. in a mile and a half race, which I've seen happen. And jockeys, it gets absolutely chaotic because you, you're running free and yeah. you come round the turn.
0: And there's a set of starting stalls in front of you. Starting
2: yeah. stalls away. I mean, people, people Trinidad, Richard Fox has a story you don't really believe, it. he was in Trinidad when it happened, I think it was Trinidad. And uh, people saw this. You know, when they were going to turn around, it's, it's there. And they started, people, some managed to pull up, some bailed out. And he was trapped on the inside. And he claims he galloped at the stalls and went straight through it. <laughs> and yeah. the, and the, his main punchline was that then they, then they declared the Royce void.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind seeing the footage if it well, ever been I, anyway. I,
2: I never believed it, but he used to tell the story anyway.
0: And as far as what, what they should do now, uh, is the is the genie out of the bottle as regards well I know, I think position that, on, on
2: wealth? I think that you can... I think you have to be the front and say, look, it's very... The horses are... I mean, I don't think people... Again, spirits can emphasise enough what an extraordinary thing... You know the line I keep saying, is the fastest weight car in the creature the world's ever mm. seen. But you actually, you actually look at what a horse does, half a tonne, can carry a man weighing, you know, can carry eleven stone uh, for two miles and jump twelve fences in f- under four minutes. Mm. And it's a, you know, you can go nought to thirty-five in six jumps. You know, it makes you seem boat-looking. These are extraordinary things, but it's risky. And you know, you you either don't do it at all, you've got to accept the risk and be ready for it. And which is a really important one because you've got to face up to it. If you get, you're going to get fractures. If you have falls. Uh, you know, all jockeys get fractures. You know, crikey, I was, and you rode for ten years or something. I've got, you know, I've got fractures in most. But uh, everyone's got stories of fractures and concussions and things. But if you have fractures with horses, euthanasia is usually the best option, and the sooner you do it, the better, and the quiet horse doesn't suffer. But euthanasia with with animals you, you, is the right thing anyway because they didn't arrive here by stalk. I mean, I have horses at home, I have them for 20, 30 years, but they, I always say to them, i had lots of X-race horses, but I always say to people, and I say it very carefully, you know, they'll never leave this yard alive. And I hold them when they're put down. I look into their eyes, and I know that they're dispatched, but I take the responsibility. And that's what happens. You know, I can, it's a shocking thing when a horse gets killed. I remember the first time it happened to me, a horse called Red Stag at Newbury, 25 runs or something. I'm a £7 claimer, and uh, suddenly you're spinning along, and uh, it does one of those sort of flip the hurdle, and turn over. And they all thunder away, and you're suddenly lying there. And actually, I remember I had a, quite a new saddle I got somehow or other, um, and uh, um, it uh, now. I, i won a race as an amateur I got given a saddle. Big deal. Uh, but there was my saddle on a piece of meat that was broken his neck. It was absolutely shattering uh, and always will be. But it's a risk. It's a risky thing and you can't do it to, to start going into the Grand National being absolutely terrified that there will be a fatality. Of course there will be a fatality. Almost certain this year because we've had about six years without. You're going to get falls if you have falls, it's only a question of angles for, for either athlete, jockey or, or, or horse. It's a question of angles. Mm. If you bounce this way, it's nothing. If you just get that hand is out there, you break your arm. You know, if the horse behind you clips you, you, know, you break this. And if, you, if you've broken a sh- shoulder a jockey, it's, it doesn't matter. You, you go, <laughs> if you've broken the shoulder of a horse, you've got to do the as The quicker, the better.
0: Well much of that brings us around to where to where I started in a sense which is about looking after the horse and looking after the people uh, just as yeah. importantly and many would say more importantly uh, and that is something you've devoted a significant portion of your of your racing life to what is it about this sport do you think that makes people who essentially your job was broadcasting the racing week to week but what makes people become so totally immersed in it as you have been
2: uh, because uh Uniquely, it can occupy it occupies you not just seven days a week, because race is on seven days a week, so the thing you follow seven days a week, mm-hmm. but if you get involved with the horses, it occupies you 24 hours a day, mm. because they're, they're out there, uh, and that's why the attraction of working in stables, we rather overdo, I mean, it always make things better, but actually working in stables it's the hours that's a problem for particularly people with families and things, But actual thing can working stable is terrific. You wake up in the morning and every morning you go before dawn and there is a live animal nickering for its food or you bucket it out, you change. And, and then, isn't it awful, you get on a horse and ride up the hill. I and mean, it's, it's I and mean, I can remember on sort of good mornings, thinking I'm being paid to in this, ridiculous. But no, it, it, it's very absorbing because you've got animals as well as this uncertain thing. Also, it's a game where most importantly of all, you have to be an optimist. You have to be an optimist. I know that, um, uh, uh, Tim Forster's great thing about mm. being a great person. But I mean, he was an optimist. Of course he was. Every morning he got up complaining, but hoping that his complaints wouldn't happen. I mean, it's racing's main deal... It's the eternal battle against hope, against expectation, isn't it? That's what it is. You get up in the morning and you never know, even this useless horse that never won a race, well, he looks a bit better today and he's set up and he's You can dream it. Anybody who has a share in a horse, you can, well, I don't know. And they say last time he's a bit unlucky and the rest of it. In fact, he finished seventh of 12, <laughs> isn't it? The fifth time the row. Keeping the dream alive.